Juice. Hey guys, and welcome to Juice. My name is Anirudh. And my name is Savan, and welcome to this episode of Juice. Last week was the 19th anniversary of 9-11, and this was a stark reminder of a tragic event that shook this nation almost 19 years ago. This week, we have a special guest, Daksh Gupta. Daksh, mind introducing yourself? Hi, my name is Daksh Gupta. I am a sophomore computer science major at Georgia Tech, and I'm also a musician on the side, and I'll be talking about both of those things. Yeah, Daksh has a really cool passion, so we're excited for you guys to hear about what he has to say. So we're going to start off with... Thanks the for having me on. Yeah, definitely. Um, so we're going to start off with the news. Uh, in our last episode, we talked a little bit about the tech market sell-off, and a lot of that trend has actually continued this week with the NASDAQ uh, really decreasing in points. Yeah, definitely. A lot of the sell-off was due to large decreases amongst Tesla and Apple stocks. Tesla was recently announced that it was not going to be added to the S&P 500, and as a result, the stock plunged. It was sidelined for more stable stocks such as Etsy and other less volatile stocks. Yeah, definitely. Now, and and it's funny. I mean, I guess it's not funny if you're Elon, but I remember he was he was really climbing up the chains on the billionaires list and uh, this past couple of weeks haven't been great for him. It's going to be honest, that hit my portfolio. <laughs> you know what I thought was really crazy about the whole Nikola thing? Yeah. Is if you look up the Wikipedia page, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but 2016, it says that the company was formed in 2016 and has laid out plans uh, for their, their, their Model 1, their Model 2, and their Model 3, and have indicated plans to manufacture them which is just an apt description of today's stock market where you can say you have indicated plans to make a car in the future and that's enough to drive your stock up to a $25 billion valuation. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just wild to think about. Yeah, and I'm glad that Sylvan and I, during our first episode, we were pretty skeptical about uh, so-called Tesla killers. Uh, it's, also, it's always important, especially with, uh, with companies like these, to make sure to look at them in the long run and then get into them instead of just jumping on the wagon right away. Honestly, I'm in India right now, and the Indian government banned TikTok some time ago. And there are definitely a lot of concerns with the whole uh, privacy thing and the Chinese government having access to the, the data. Because I'm pretty sure the military in America had put out a statement saying that they wanted to prevent anyone associated with the military, like military family members, etc., yeah. from using the app. So I, I honestly, as painful as it is for a lot of people who are fans of the app, it felt like the right thing to do. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, it's just kind of, I feel like there's uh, multiple reasons for it. Some reasons are valid and some aren't. <laughs> I feel like we all know what I'm talking about. But something that's important to note is that WeChat is something that's really important important to Chinese families, especially in America, to communicate with their relatives back in uh, China. Mm-hmm. But I guess um, it's, just oppor- it's just something that has had to be done, though. Yeah, I agree with the ban for the most part, too. Like, I'm an avid TikTok user, but, like, I understand the whole national security implications and why President Trump and his administration would actively seek to block downloads. Yep. So now talking a little bit more about the stock market, um, we wanted to talk about some IPOs. Um, and one of the IPOs that really uh, caught our eye is Snowflake. It's one of the, uh, it's like the biggest IPO that's been released so far. Um, 
and it's just funny because it's pretty overvalued. Uh, it has a huge uh, price to sales ratio compared to other um, other stocks in that area. And like, I think it's indicative of the fact that demand and supply don't really equate to a proper valuation, right? So a high demand and a very low supply will just increase the price exponentially, but it's not really indicative of how much the company should be valued. Yeah, because I feel like a lot of the investors, they saw Snowflake and saw the tagline that it was a cloud computing company and so on, and they just jumped on the back, like bandwagon because terms like cloud computing, AI are just buzzwords nowadays. Like Any company investor just wants to hop onto that. <laughs> Big data, kind of like our last episode. Yeah. yeah. I think I it's actually had something to say about institutional, it. Yes, it's institutional investors who, and this is so crazy to me, right? Because people talk about how institutional investors have experts on the matter, they're people who are, who are experts in the tech industry and they understand the tech industry. And it feels like we can boil down so many of these decisions to buzzwords, blockchain, virtual reality, <laughs> yeah. and, and cloud yeah. computing and things like that. And it's crazy that we're able to do that and then we can just, you know, boil those decisions down to these simple things. Um and it makes you wonder, like, do the, do these people know any better than we do? Do they know something that we don't? And are they? And do people actually know how much something should be worth, or is everyone just speculating? Yeah, uh, and just to hit on some of the actual uh, dollar points, I think it went from one hundred twenty dollars to a jump uh, of to two hundred forty five dollars. But then I think, Ducks, you were talking a little. Uh, you were, you wanted to say something about that, right? So the day after it dropped about eleven percent. Uh, and since then, it's just covered, kind of hovered around. So it, it has, it has dropped uh, in nearly double-digit percentages uh, since its uh, post-IPO peak. So um, I don't see it holding its value. I think the market knows that it's unsustainable for something uh, this early on to be worth this much. It's certainly a company that has a lot of potential to be profitable, but at the same time. Um, it's as you said, the price to earnings ratio is far too high. It has to be overvalued. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so another two other IPOs that we we're really interested in here at Juice are Chime and Robinhood, which are like some of the biggest financial service uh, platforms. And they haven't released their IPO. They haven't uh, had an IPO yet, but they're eyeing it soon. So the other main company that we mentioned was Chime. And for the audience that doesn't know what Chime is, I'm the startup that delivers like banking services to specifically like mobile mobile phones, right? So right now they're valued at around 14.5 billion dollars, and in their latest round of uh, funding, they raised 485 million dollars. So they doubled their valuation from December and worth almost 900 percent than they were 18 months ago, when it, they were just 1.5 billion dollars worth. Yeah, and they'll become IPO ready, I think, uh, in around in a year, right? And uh, I think recently they're even valued, they're like the highest valued uh, uh, fintech company, even higher than Robinhood now. Really? Yeah. So Chime is not a bank, though, is it? 
not like a specific bank. Mm. It's more of a because they have a yeah. It's like a, they because they, they classify it as a financial services company, so it's not a. It's, it offers these checkings and savings products, but they can't call them that because they're not a bank. It's more of a consumer software. It's more kind of a software. yeah. That's what it looks like. Because because yeah. Robinhood tried to be a bank, they put out a sa- they they tried to create a savings account and they mm-hmm. got into a lot of trouble because banks are tightly regulated in this country. You can't um, you know you you can't just create a savings. And call it a bank and uh, and not face all the regulation the banks face. But it looks like it has some kind of uh, partner bank um, from like Stride Bank and the Bank Corp Bank as its backing uh, entity. But it's not a bank itself, from what it looks like. Yeah, basically serving as like a middleman so it can avoid all these like regulatory ire of the SEC or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because I worked in a fintech company last summer, and uh, so a lot of, I've had to work with a lot of British banks, a London-based mm-hmm. company. And they have this thing, this concept in London, in the UK called challenger banks, which are essentially financial services companies that operate like banks. They don't have banking licenses, but they operate like banks and they offer these zero fees uh, transactions, zero fees ATM withdrawals, and just a lot of things, the things that Barclays and HSBC have been, you know, uh, leading their customers out on credit card uh, uh, and overdraft fees and, and uh, wire transfer fees. And they have just none of those. And uh, they're decimating a lot of the banking and consumer banking and consumer savings account um, businesses that these big banks have. But they're not banks. And the government doesn't know how to deal with that. The, the SEC, I'm sure, has the same problem. They, they have Revolut and Monzo in the UK and Chime and Ally and uh, et cetera in America. I'm sure it's the same problem. How do you regulate something that acts like a bank but it's not a bank? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be a problem for the government in the coming years. Because like... Uh- from what I've seen, a lot of these new companies are just trying to brand themselves as tech companies to avoid, like, like any regulation. Because, like, I mean, sure, we're seeing some, like, governments step up against tech companies. Like, there was, over the summer, there was, like, a recent hearing with Facebook and stuff over their concerns. But I'm saying, like, a lot of these new fintech companies and everything, they're just trying to be branded as tech. So they can avoid financial regulation. Like, they'll still be under tech regulation, but they can avoid the financial scrutiny. Yeah, and it's PR gold, if you think oh, about genius. it. Because people look at tech companies and they see something which is disruptive. It's better than the ancient institutions that this country has, uh, in this country that, that, that have never worked for them. These, these systems have worked for the wealthy. They've never worked for, uh, for the average American. I so think that's something, company, yeah, that's, that's something that's really presence. attracting like, consumers to platforms mm-hmm. like Robinhood. For uh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> So I think that concludes our, um, I think we had a great time talking about the IPOs and that concludes our news section. We kind of want to dig more into uh, who Duxch is and his music journey as well as his uh, experience as a student. Let's start off with the music journey. Can you uh, tell us a little bit about why you enjoy music? For sure. So um, I, so to kind of go back in time, uh, my uncle used to have a guitar. This is around when I was nine or ten years old, and he stopped playing it, so he wanted someone to have it so he doesn't go to waste. So he gave it to me, and that's when I first started playing guitar. And I kind of played it a little bit. I played it mainly because I thought it would make girls like me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I did that for a long, long time. Hey, my, it works for some motivation. people. It works for some people. Forget, it absolutely does. I would, I would go so far as to say that it's absolutely worked for me in many, uh, on many levels. I've definitely uh, improved my chances by, by playing guitar. No, but I, so I started playing guitar for that reason. And honestly, I think just uh, the, I thought it was cool and that was enough for me to keep doing it for a long, long, long time. And um, I used to post covers on SoundCloud about four or five years ago. I was in, 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 towards the end of middle school and early, early high school. 
and um, then I started uh, writing some original music, and I so I so generally uh, when you write original music, you send it as demos to labels, hoping some label will pick you up. But the thing with these labels is, and the thing with the music industry is that no one has any money. Mm-hmm. Music labels will only will only give you a, a shot if you already have an audience. You have to start making the money from day one. Otherwise, they don't care about mm-hmm. you. So there was one label that reached out finally, and I did one song with them. Realized I don't like working with labels. Got in a fight with the producer because uh, it just I don't like working for other people. Because uh, when it, when I look at my tech stuff and my computer science stuff, I'm doing it for other other people. People tell me to do stuff, and I do it for them. I have to work with someone else's timelines. I have to work with someone else's uh, agenda. I like music because I can do it on my own time. That's what I liked about it. So working with a label was just very uh, shackling to me. But um, I started writing my own stuff, and I discovered that you could now self-publish uh, for a small licensing fees to almost all of these streaming services. And there were a lot of people who would like cut through all the legal and copywriting um, mess that you normally have to go through. So I used one of these services, and I put out my first song, and it it, it got it got about you know 300, 400 streams on Spotify, which at the time was a big deal. I don't know 400 people, so I thought that was that was really cool. Okay. This is like January. Uh, two years ago so uh then i put out another song the second song i put out it got on a spotify playlist Ooh. and uh, for those of you guys who are not familiar with the way spotify playlists work they're curated and they're the difference between getting 400 streams and getting 40,000 streams uh because people follow these playlists in such huge numbers so i got on this playlist called indie india and had a huge followership in india uh, and so far, which is about, about a year and a half now, I have about 80,000 streams on that song just from being on a playlist. And I put out another song after that that got on another playlist. It got on the charts uh, on, uh, in, on, on Spotify and it was on, it peaked at number 35 on the, on the Viral 50 brief, for a very brief period of time for a few days. And that one would cr- eventually cross 200,000 streams. And I've just been putting a lot of music. I signed a movie deal uh, earlier uh, this year, so I'm doing an indie film now. Ooh. So I've just been exploring a lot of things. It gets harder and harder to do this alongside school. Mm-hmm. And uh, and it's hard to build a career out of it. And I know people say this and uh, a lot, and a lot of times Indian parents particularly are... Uh, uh, they, I mean, I, I'm fully aware of the cliche of, uh, of, 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 of a brown engineering student. Be an engineer or a doctor. That's, that's the usual motto. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's not, that's not definitely not a lot. That, that, the irony of that is not lost on me, certainly. So, um, but I, I think there's some, there's a great amount of truth to that. I can't speak for other entertainment um, industries, but I can speak for music is that it, it is nearly impossible to break even or to make any kind of money in music because mm-hmm. people don't want to pay for music. When you think about it, you, I mean, Spotify, when you, if you wanted to buy an album, you have to pay 10 bucks for the album, five bucks for the album. You have to pay a dollar for a song in iTunes in the early 2000s. Here you pay $10 for a month of Spotify, $5 if you're a student, $2 in many countries, $3 in many countries. It's very cheap in a lot of countries around the world. But you listen to a lot more music's worth than that. You listen to a lot of new a lot of new music that you would never listen to otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's just cost. Spotify loses money through that process. The artist does not get paid because Spotify doesn't have enough money to pay them, and the artist and the label does not get paid enough because they're handling too many artists and they can't pay for them. And no one makes any money, and especially the artists. I mean, people talk about you know hundreds of thousands of streams, millions of streams. Um, Beyonce consistently has billions of streams a year. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, if she were to just try to live off of her streams, assuming that uh, there is no cost to her making music, assuming that she makes it out of her bedroom with uh, with stuff that she already owns, she would make eighty thousand dollars a year uh-huh. from all of the music that she produces, which is crazy. She is the, one of the biggest artists in the world, and to think that uh, that you know her her operation cannot pay for itself. Uh, through Spotify and through Apple Music is is crazy to think about. That's just how broken the industry is at this point. Is no one's making any money. Yeah, interesting. That's I know. You know, like I feel like so. Yeah, I feel like Sivan and I probably just think that you make bank, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> no, it's yeah. uh, well, you make money off a of live live performance. So any of these people, they're making all the money through well through brand deals and sponsorships, yeah, and they make money exactly. through live performance. You should like yeah. go to like a pub or something and sing. Um, yeah, so I do I do a little bit of live work and they pay a little, but you got to go on tour though. You got to sell tickets on your own name. That's when people uh, that that's when you that's when you can start making real money. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Do you have any plans for a future tour, like the Dakshikubta experience or something? Honestly, if if I ever get famous enough, and if it happens like while I'm still in college, I'm gonna drop it. I'm gonna drop out that day. Oh, I don't blame if you. I, I don't blame you. If a if a if a big label signs me, or if I can get a tour for just myself, or if I can like go along with someone on a tour, if I can open for a decently big artist, I'm gonna drop out of school. <laughs> nice. So, what do you consider yeah. yourself like? Do you consider more yourself more of an artist or more of a business person? Well, I guess you can be both, but like, how do you see yourself? I think the one thing I've learned uh, in the time that I've spent kind of trying to make it in entertainment is, if you are a musician or an or a painter or a filmmaker or a YouTuber, you're not running a personal entertainment uh, operation. You're you're running a business. That's it's an entrepreneurial endeavor it's the same way if you make an app you have to get people to use it and then you have to figure out a way to get money out of those people is the exact same way with making youtube videos or making music you have to get a lot of people to use your product which in this case is the art you're making and then you have to make you know get those people to pay up and you know to buy your merch or, or watch your advertisements or click on your links on, or whatever so i think it's absolutely both those things it would be like this would be like asking um twitter if they're a if they're engineers or if they're a business, they're both. They they have a, they create a product and then they have to figure out a way to get money off of that product. Their uh, the video that they had of their hydrogen one truck was apparently, uh, according to Hindenburg Research Report, is apparently them. It was the truck was rolling down a ramp <laughs> and it was called hydrogen one in motion. And uh, and and this is real by the way. Their spokesperson said we never said that the that the truck was self propelled. We just said it was in motion. And oh so this, oh this is, this this is, is like covering their asses in the like most such spectacular a sketchy, fashion. Boy, this is so sketchy. Yeah. It's, it's a fast way to make a billion dollars and then get out of the market. Yeah, exactly. And so we also want to talk about something that's probably dear to a lot of our audience, a lot of our college audience and high school audience. Uh, WeChat and TikTok are going to be banned from like downloading on Sunday. Uh, what do you guys think about that? So, yeah, so, so Robin Hood, I was talking to my dad about this because I was telling him so uh, that there was this Wall Street Journal article that said that Robin Hood investors are uh, influencing the market in tangible ways. And he was, like, very skeptical about it because, like, the only people who can, uh, who can influence the markets are institutional investors with, you know, their assets mm-hmm. under management are hundreds of billions of dollars. And, um, uh, and sure, you know, Robin Hood might have a lot of people, but at the end of the day, the people have small portfolios. But apparently that's not as, as true as people think. It's 13 million 
people, and if I remember correctly, last I checked about $50 billion assets under management. And the thing is, unlike the diversified portfolios that the institutional investors have, these portfolios are, are very much concentrated in a handful of tech stocks. Robinhood, are, you know, people in Robinhood are buying Amazon, they're buying Netflix, they're buying, they're buying these a few tech stocks and they actually seem to have the power to influence them in tangible ways because they're aggravating, they're responding to, to, to movements in the stock and they're just aggravating movements because, I mean, Robinhood investors for the most part are not, I mean, I'm one of them and I don't <laughs> yeah. really know how the market works uh, and I'm influencing it in my own small way because I don't know how it works. Uh, don't, don't tell anyone that, you know everything. Yeah, <laughs> I was about to. S- that's, yeah, that's what I need to get people to believe. It's like, what is it? Robinhood has basically been like a gateway for a lot of these new investors to hop onto the stock market bandwagon, right? It's like beforehand, stocks investing used to be relegated to only a couple people that were like highly educated, like the cream of the crop or whatever. Now, if you just have a phone and a couple cash on you, anybody can invest in a stock. It's like so much easier yeah. now. Yeah, that's what Baiju Pat said. It's democratizing America's financial system. That's their motto. So Robinhood, one of the reasons why it wants, it's always wanted to go public, according to the CEO, um, but or, or the founder, I forgot who said it, but one of the biggest reasons is that it's recently raised the $200 million in its Series G funding from um, investor D1 Capital Partners. And so yeah. that increased the valuation of the startup to $11.2 billion. And it was, I think it was originally like eight point something billion. Anyway, so I think it was on the first episode we discussed Nikola, which was a hydrogen-based electric, like electric trucking company. Well, recently there have been allegations of fraud against Nikola. Prominent short seller Hindenburg Research has called out the fraud in a recently released report, which saw the stock's value sink by 20%. They claim that the company is inflated in value without any actual production of their of their famed hydrogen-based trucks. And currently they're being investi- investigated by the DOJ and SEC. Some former employees have also said that many of the many of the company's projects has have also been overstated in their progress. And right now they don't have any actual physical model to build off of. So okay. do you think so Dutch, do you think um this relates have has your experience related any way to i know you're really interested in computer science like i don't know if you can draw parallels but are there any similarities yeah there i yes that's a great question i think there are definitely a lot of uh, parallels to both of those things now um when you make music it's it's a very technological endeavor now because i can't afford session musicians i can't afford to pay someone to pay the trumpet for mm-hmm. me. And I don't mm-hmm. even know people who play the trumpet. Like, it's not it's not easy to find uh, skilled people to play. Or, and the, it's inconvenient. You have to figure out a way to record them. And it's just a pain. 90% of the music you listen to, if you're hearing an instrument that sounds familiar, like a piano or a, um, uh, or a horn or a violin, 90% of the times, that's a virtual instrument. It was sampled and no one actually played it on the on the... It was either synthesized or sampled. Like no one actually played it on that on that record mm-hmm. or on that song. Mm-hmm. And uh, just being good with technology in general, having an understanding of how signals work and having an understanding of how um, software is designed. We deal with so much software with samplers and with audio workstations and with multi-track recorders. There's so much software you deal with. Just being good with computers definitely 
get makes you a lot better at uh, uh, at making music in the first place. And then with the entrepreneurial side, uh, I had I had a much easier time making a website uh, to market myself, and had an easier time. Uh, there's just a lot of things that get easier when you go with computers, just in everything. And I think music is a very good example of that. Same thing with people who make music videos. Just having a grip on software, having a grip on how videos recorded, different file formats. There's so much technical information that that people, when they enter these fields, have to learn. That is so much easier if you're familiar with computers in general. It's just so much yeah. less stuff for you to learn. The learning curve is so much less steep. Um, so for sure, there's there's certainly a lot of parallels. Cool. Owing to like the technology and like music connection, are you doing anything at like tech related to like audio technology or anything? Are you like involved in that area? So uh, for people who go to tech would, have, would know about Under the Couch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, the, it's a music club that's been around for about 25 years now. It, um, it used to be in the student center, which, which does not exist anymore. Yeah. So they're still looking for a physical space. But um, it's a very open and, and it's a great community of, of, uh, of singers and of, of uh, musicians and producers and, and, and instrumentalists. And they have sound class once a week, uh, just teaching people technical skills around music. And um, tech has a very good music technology program. So I, uh, I'm currently taking the first class in the sequence for the minor. So if I like it, I might uh, go ahead and declare that as a minor. Definitely helps to have formalized education in anything. Yeah. It just makes you mm-hmm. more creatively capable. The more tools you have, the more accurately you can express your ideas. The more, you know, the more colors you have to paint your pictures. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> all right so let's shift a little bit from the music to your experience as like an international student i know because you're from india and coming to tech how how would you describe it and like how was the experience when you initially came to campus and now how are you adjusting now that it's online like kind of a two-part question here so um, I think about this a lot, and this came up when I was talking to one of my friends of mine. So for um, since I guess people don't know, I was so I was born in America, but I haven't spent any time in America. Mm-hmm. I um, my parents used to live in Texas, and I was born there. And uh, they moved uh, a couple of countries, moved to India when I was very young. So I the only memory I have is of growing up in India. Yeah. Uh, the way I think about it is and what i've realized come realize is people in big cities everywhere are the same it's the same person over and over and the same cultures and the same because i grew up watching american tv grew up listening to american music grew up watching american movies uh and i'm just familiar with american pop culture and just even with some of the more subtle american cultural things or just things i'm more familiar with i mean i've traveled to america in the past Mm -hmm. for example and that makes the adjustment not only easier, it also means that the cultural aspect of it is not what influences the quality of the adjustment. Because if I had to really think about it, I adjusted to, to tech, I mean, within maybe weeks of arriving there. Mm-hmm. And it took me a lot longer to adjust to high school in a city where I'd grown up. Mm-hmm. Because the cultural differences were so little and so insignificant, considering also that a tech is a very cosmopolitan place. There's people from around the world. Um, even 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 if you don't think about that part, just adjusting into American culture uh, to me wasn't difficult at all. And this is interesting because I was talking to a friend of mine who lived in who who grew up in the same town as I did, and she went to university in India, but in like a, in a rural um, 
uh, area in, uh, in, I think, the far west side of India. And she was talking about how, like, she just had a very difficult time adjusting there. And I thought that was so interesting, is that for people growing up in the city in India, it's easier to adjust to a city in America than it is to adjust in a village or a rural or a smaller town in India. Mm. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. Uh, I think there's positives to that, but I feel like if you also think about it, you might think that in a, in, if you had to find some type of negative out of it, that means that a lot of people in India are, you know, like, shining their light i mean shining their vision towards america constantly if all they're listening i'm not saying you but like if like i think america does that for with all countries right especially third world countries where Mm -hmm. their culture like seeps into at least the biggest cities in third world countries oh for sure yeah so it's the it's the english language thing it's because everyone's the countries where people speak english and america produces more english language culture than any other place and produces Mm -hmm. more movies more television yeah so I think there's like yeah. good things about it, but it's also kind of unfortunate, right? That a lot of people kind of lose out on their indigenous culture in that sense. Yes, I I would yeah. So I would I would uh, I would say that uh, that Indian cities are developing their own subcultures now, which I think is very fascinating. And this is something that I didn't see a lot growing up, but I'm seeing it now. Mm-hmm. Uh, is there's a new wave of there's kind of a new wave of Indian culture, which is rooted in uh in in dismissing uh, western imperialism and this rooted in in creating your own culture that is made up of traditional indian culture it it, it pulls some um uh some features from modern american society and modern european society and it, it develops some original things of its own there's a there's a wave of music there's a wave of, of television and and uh, and uh and entertainers and creators and and a way of doing business that is proudly Indian, but mm. not in proudly traditionally Indian, but proudly Indian in the new India that it's created. Yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Uh, I think you, that's a really cool topic, and just that, the fact that you've experienced that, just it's really cool. Um, so Suvan and I, I came to the United States when I was four, so I, so I'm in like the opposite shoe as you. I don't really remember anything from India. I mean, you probably went to India much much younger, probably when you were like two or something. I don't know. I don't remember what you were Yeah, about, that was about a year and a half, two and a half, something like that. Yeah, but I came here when I was four, so I don't remember anything about India, but just brought up in America. And, um, yeah, it's interesting to see what an international student feels. And it's good that you had a good adjustment. I know for some people it's pretty hard uh, to adjust. Yeah, certainly. And so how do you think that adjustment compares, especially this semester when you're taking online uh, college? I think it's just a lot of those things are just what people are feeling in general with online college uh, is you just feel a little bit less connected. You aren't surrounded by other college students. You're not surrounded by other people that are in your classes. Uh, it's easier to forget that there's a test coming up because there's no one to remind you and no one's talking about it around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, all those problems exist. The one thing that I do feel uh, I'm really missing out on is the time difference is such that I go to sleep when my classes end, which is normally between <laughs> 2 a.m. and 4 a.m. And by that point is, is when, of course, people in the East Coast have finished their classes and are now going to socialize and hang out and talk. But I'm asleep during that time. And by the time I wake up, they've all gone to sleep because it's you know, past midnight. Yeah. So I miss out on, uh, on the entire time when people are, are doing all their social activity. So I think that part is pretty straining uh, for a lot of people who are doing classes like this. It's very straining for their mental health. Uh, 
because it's all of the work of college without any of the the social aspects, which are what kind of balance it out. And I, I appreciate that a lot more now than ever, that college is, is not any harder this semester than it was last semester. It's just the last semester when you were done with college, you were surrounded with people to make you forget about all the work and the stress. But now there's nothing. It's just work, and then there's just more work at the end of it. Yeah, I feel like I'm definitely more stressed this semester. I, I, I sure. actually think it's harder in my opinion, but that might be part of what you're saying, part of the stress. Yeah. But um, So have any of the professors that you have made any time zone type of adjustments for international students? So thankfully, the computer science department in particular has been very, very uh, accommodating because especially have a very large international student population. Yeah. Uh, so they've made all their classes asynchronous. But the thing is, uh, do classes async, you, I just don't think it's the same thing. I ask a lot of questions in class. I use the Q&A box a lot, uh, and, I, and I raise my hand in class a lot to ask questions. And I feel like that, not only does it, uh, is it useful for me to be able to answer my questions in lecture, I think it keeps me engaged as well, because yeah. if I'm in a position where I'm able to ask questions, I'm more likely to be paying attention so I can ask good questions. And uh, I tried doing classes the next morning uh, and trying to have a normal day. And it just is not the same thing. I feel like I, the quality of the, ke- of the education suffers so much, I'd rather go through the drudgery of being up very late and then uh, waking up in the afternoon. Yeah. So I know, like, some of the classes you're taking are, like, group-based. Are you working with anyone that's, like, in a different time zone than you? Or what, like, how are you guys coordinating that? So... Uh, so my my group uh, is actually uh, 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 three of my closest friends who were who are all supposed to be my roommates, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, uh, that didn't uh, obviously not work out. And our time zones, so we're five of us in my group project class, and there's three people on the east coast. Two of them are on campus. One of them is in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Then there's me, nine and a half hours ahead, and the last person's in Singapore, twelve and a half Ooh. hours. So that's a it's a very very well twelve hours or something like that. So it's a very very large time zone difference. Uh, it's difficult, but thankfully most of the work that we do, uh, it's pretty easy to do it independently, and yeah. we only have to really meet a couple times a week. But it's definitely a pain because you 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 drop something in the group chat and people won't see it until like eight hours from then because it's you know in the middle of the night in the other two places. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't think yeah. about that. Yeah, so I think Siv and I are online, so it's been pretty hard for us, but I can only imagine what it's like for international students. <laughs> yeah. Touching on the whole international, like, I know there's the whole pandemic going on. How's the situation in India a little bit right now? So, uh, so when I was in, um, in America in, until March, uh, I remember this very clearly because the 13th of March was the last time that you could fly out of uh, uh, America into India because mm-hmm. India was banning all flights. Uh, so that was the last time that you could do that. And um, I remember this so clearly because tech announced that they were going to be fully online post-spring a day after that. So I couldn't Ooh. fly home on that day. And uh, the, if I was an Indian citizen, I could have flown out on the 21st. But because I'm a U.S. citizen, I don't have the right to enter the country um, and like the inalienable right to enter the country. So there were, there were no flights and I couldn't legally enter the country. I was pretty much stuck there for like two and a half months. Uh, and I was uh, in, in Florida for a little bit. I was in New York and Philadelphia, just trying to get on a plane, an evacuation flight of some kind. It was a very painful process. And I remember throughout the entire time, whenever I talked to my relatives at, at home and the cases in America were, were climbing up higher and higher and higher, um, they were saying things like, oh, you know, Americans are so stupid. They can't even handle a pandemic and this and that. And I was like, 
I know I know this makes me sound like Donald Trump on Twitter, but it is because America is testing more than India is. Yeah. It's not testing more than Europe is. So it's 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 so when European people say that it's not, you know, America is handling the pandemic poorly understand. But when they say that in India, I don't understand that at all. I mean, uh, my state in India has uh, about 200 million people. That's two thirds or well, more than half the population of America in a single state. And we count our daily cases in the hundreds. Yeah. And I know for a fact that that's not even possible. Yeah, that's so little. And in spite of the fact, yeah. And when you, in America, the positivity rate for tests is like 2% because you can just show up and get a test done. Yeah. You can have yourself tested. In India, you have to be very symptomatic for them to test you. And a lot of people just won't get tested because they don't know that they're going to, they, they might be held in the hospital against their wish and they might be, you know, put, so they might as well just isolate at home and let it pass because it's not like the hospital is going to be able to do anything. Yeah. So the majority of cases are undetected. And in spite of that, we're now trending at the highest daily cases in any country of 95,000 a few days ago, expected across 100,000. So, like, yeah, um, so, so things are pretty bad, but I think the only saving, one of the only uh, saving graces, I think, is that um, at least the death percentage is pretty low for me at, at India and in India. So yeah, thankfully, that's one of the yeah. uh, that's one of the good things about the pandemic. India, I like if we want to be realistic about it, we all knew it was going to come. It's, it has the most people in the world, second Absolutely. most people in the world. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the it was handled okay in the beginning uh the lockdown so i think i i i I think that was a good decision but now i think a lot of people are a bit more casual with it now after the lockdown so a lot of people aren't wearing yeah yeah at least where my family economy dropped it's Uh uh, at least where my family lives i think it's uh the testing is pretty easy at least where my family lives but i guess it's different from every state in india but yeah, yeah. yeah, people definitely become more casual about it. But hopefully, uh, gratefully, the death rate is pretty low. Uh, because I, 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 honestly speaking, Indians probably have like one of the best immunity in the world. Uh, we just, <laughs> yeah. dude, they get exposed yeah. to so many things. Uh, That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. You know that they get exposed to so many diseases, so much pollution. They just, they're just strong. Um, and also, yeah. I think it was interesting because I think there was a research article about how. Getting the TB vaccine is, is, has been proven to be has is proven to give you a like slight uh, advantage in your in your immunity. Uh-huh. So like everyone born in India has the TB vaccine. Like even I have it. Um, uh-huh. yeah. It gives it leaves a, it, it leaves a little scar in your um, on your yeah, arm, right. so you can tell if you have it. But in really? America, it's not required. Most people, most American people our age at least don't have it. So do you want to talk a little bit about how you would improve the international experience at Georgia Tech? Like even even post-COVID, how, what do you think are some of the problems that international students face? And how would you improve So that? I think a lot of the things that face international students uh, are, are associated with their immigration status because it's through the career services that there's a lot of jobs that they can't get because a company has to sponsor their visa. Mm-hmm. I think that's the main thing. And that's something I thankfully don't have to deal with, but a lot of my friends do. So it's something that I'm very familiar with, the the problem with immigration, trying to get a job Mm -hmm. after graduating. So I think um, the only thing I can really think of, because I think Georgia Tech already does a fantastic job at supporting international students and students who just live abroad and overseas. I think the one thing that could make quite a large difference is just better counseling and better education uh, for international students on immigration law and on how to uh, you know work with visa sponsorship because what I understand is 
international students in America now, at least now that India's economy is finally, you know, in a in quite a aggressively powerful state, people are coming back uh, post their twenties. Um, as a matter of fact, more um, uh, more often than not, for the first time ever, it's not starting 2013, 2014, more often than not, uh, Indian immigrants come back to India um, from America. They work there in their 20s, they save up a lot of money and they come back. And uh, uh, although I don't personally know if I'm going to do that, I do know that a lot of people do. So I found that very interesting. But the, the, in their 20s, people working in their 20s, it would be a lot better if people had a better idea of how immigration works because it's, it's a complicated topic. It's mm -hmm. a, the laws are weird and messy and there's just a lot of them to go through. So uh, what, I'm just echoing the sentiments of a lot of other people who have had to face this. Like if the, of the Office of International um, Student Affairs just had just a little bit more educational material or people you can go talk to about, uh, about immigration law and about you know, how to get companies to sponsor you mm -hmm. and what internship opportunities and research opportunities you can partake in uh, with your immigration status and things like that. It would be a lot, uh, a lot more helpful. Well, that's most of the interview, what we have with Daksh. That's, well, pre that pretty much wraps it up. Now we're going to talk into a little bit more like casual banter right now. So let's see. Recently, the NBA is now, uh, what is it? Both, like the teams are in the conference finals right now. And the Clippers were like, what is it? The Nuggets came back from a 3-1 deficit. Uh, is this, that's their, that was their second time in the postseason, right? Yeah, bro, the Nuggets just went insane. And the fact that they destroyed Kawhi and his Clippers, I don't know. It looks bad for Kawhi. Yeah, honestly, Kawhi's legacy might... I mean, I know it's just one game, and, like, LeBron's won. Uh, LeBron's lost a lot of his finals games as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, this wasn't a finals game. It's just not acceptable, honestly, to uh, give up a 3-1 to one lead. Um, so it's interesting. And Paul George didn't show up at all, so I don't know what's going to happen. Playoff P. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what do you think about um, Giannis and how he was saying, don't call me a two-time MVP unless I win a championship? I didn't hear that one. Really? He said that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. funny. Well, the NBA is definitely, like, ramping up. Like, even though it's in a bubble, like, the stakes are still high and, like, the teams are going at it still. And I wish luck to all the teams, honestly. The Heat might actually surprise us. Yeah, the Heat are, like, something I just didn't expect. I don't think anyone did it. Anyone thought that Jimmy Butler was just going there to retire? Yeah, exactly. And uh, in other sports news, I think something that's really cool is the NFL has started um, their season. So, as usual, the Falcons lost. But uh, uh, all good seasons start off with a uh, week one loss. So, Also, something one of the coolest things this week was probably the Masterclass $1 offer. I don't know if you guys jumped on that, but yeah. I think it was two days ago. Um, usually yeah, it's like $180 yeah. to watch like some of the best people in their art, Crazy. in their craft. And they, they were giving $1 offers for students. So I, I jumped <laughs> on that. California really cool. called me. My friend from California called me when there were three minutes left on the clock and my card got declined at the last minute. Shit. Yeah, 
I'll be honest with you guys. I had no clue what masterclass was until like people started posting about. It. I was like, "What is this? How are you? How are you missing those Instagram Bro, ads? There's so many. Yeah, of them. I don't know what this is. On like, YouTube. No, on I've YouTube. never seen the ads. Like, I don't know what side of YouTube you guys are on, but like, I don't see these ads. The smart side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, They're everywhere. Uh, cool. So I think that wraps up our um, episode for this week. We're, um, we, Sylvan and I hope you enjoyed. We really had an enjoyable time talking to Daksh. He was really passionate about a lot of things, and it was good to hear insights from him. Thank you so much for having me on. And also, Daksh, if you want, what were the two songs you mentioned earlier, just like plugging it in for the audience? Oh, yeah, for sure. Of course, I keep forgetting. <laughs> uh, so if you're looking for me on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you find your music, I'm Daksh Gupta, that's D-A-K-S-H-G-U-P-T-A. And uh, you can find my songs Pastor and Rise and my new song, You Will Find Me, whose uh, music video is now streaming on YouTube and also available on a lot of streaming services. Cool. Definitely go check them out. Anyway, that wraps up this episode of Juice. Till next time, stay juicy. Juice.